welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 2, Episode 4, Where Then is Boasting? Romans 3, 27-31. Comparison. It is something we do every single day. How am I doing in my job? Do I shovel my walk as good as my neighbors do? Are my kids as well-behaved as other people's kids? Do I make more money or less money than others in my office? And on and on and on and on it goes. It is a constant theme for us. Today on Romans Untangled, we're going to look at where this actually comes from. Hey, thanks for joining us. I'm Pastor Steve Treichler. I'm the founding and senior pastor of Hope Community Church, Twin Cities, a three-locational church. And I'm prepping this episode a little bit early now as Carol and I are getting geared up to go to Florida for five days. And no, it's not going to be toasty warm, but one thing we learned about 15 years ago for living up here in Minnesota is you just have to have somewhere on the calendar somewhere in that January, February, maybe early March season where you just get out of it. You got to get out of it. That and my fireplaces helped me to make it through winter. Hey, this season we're going through, first of all, just a theological term to familiar ourselves with the great truths of scripture. Um, and uh, But we want to make sure we're always looking at God and not just get caught up in theology. And this week, we're going to hit we're going to talk about the topic of God, and we're going to talk about something called his incommunicable attributes. Incommunicable. So, you know, we're in a pandemic right now, so we all know what communicable diseases, those which are spread, right? So by saying the word it's incommunicable, and these are attributes, those are these are facets of God, these are those divine attributes that cannot be shared or communicated by humanity, and they're just unique to God. Now, we might have portions of them, but we don't have them like God has them. And we'll even see that next week when we look at the communicable attributes, because it says in, in Scripture that we are made in the image of God, and some of the ways that God is, we are also like. And, and these are not, this is not an exhaustive list, but let me give you, uh, and this comes from the Lexham Survey of Theology, uh, where it talks about Attributes Describing God and Himself. Suzanne Calhoun is the author of this. And here's how she describes these incommunicable attributes. And she lists, let me see, two, four, six, eight, ten, eleven of them. So here they are. God's glory describes his unique excellence. That's a good definition. God's immutability is his imperviousness to change. In other words, God does not change. He doesn't get smarter tomorrow. He's always God. God's omnipotence is his almightiness. He has all power. The word omni means all all potent or all powerful. God's omnipresence describes his relationship to space. He is everywhere. God's eternity describes his relationship to time. He is every when, if that's a word. He, he, he just always was and always is and always will be. And one of the ways that he describes himself as scripture is just by saying, I am. He's constantly in the present tense. 
God's omniscience means his all-knowingness. He's ignorant of nothing and has never learned anything new. God's self-existence points to his independence. He needs no other beings and exists to for, he exists to and for and by himself. There was no one who created God. God's spirituality reveals his nature as non-physical. God's unity points to the biblical teaching that God is one, unique, and undivided. God's simplicity reveals that God is not made up of various parts. God's infinity is his quality of being unlimited by time or space or anything. Those are God's incommunicable attributes. Let me just read them again. His glory, his immutability, his unchangeableness, his omnipotence, his omnipresence, his eternity, his omniscience, his self-existence, his spirituality, his unity, his simplicity, and his infinity. Okay, so that's our theological concept, theological word for the day is the attributes of God, and we're dividing them into incommunicable, and next week we'll talk about the communicable attributes of God. We are going to finish up Romans chapter 3 today. Uh, This has been an amazing ride. I hope you've uh, really enjoyed, especially the last few weeks. I I certainly have. Let me read this week's passage. This week's I'm going to read out of the New International Version. I'll I'll switch around from version to version, uh, just so you can get a feel for different versions. And this is the end. We're going to pick it up in verse 27, and then uh, we'll go all the way to the end of the chapter. It says, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too, since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. Okay, so this is a uh, this is the end of his argument here. He's going to shift gears a little bit. We'll come we'll come to that when we get to the end of this. What is he going to do uh, next week or starting in chapter four? But here, the apostle Paul, after giving the whole gospel, right, that we're sinful and we could do nothing to get out of it, and if Christ came, he became our punishment. He took upon himself the wrath of God. We talked about that last week uh, on our behalf. Uh, because God wanted to be both just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's Romans 3, 25 and 26. Just beautiful, right? And then it says this. It says, where then is boasting, right? (laughs) Okay, so it, it it just, where then is boasting? Well, he says it is excluded. Well, of course it's excluded, right? Why? Why do we even bring this up? And I'm gonna come back to that. I really wanna do. I wanna walk through the passage, but then I wanna ask that big question here is, why would you even bring this up here, Paul? It's such a weird thing, it seems to me. So then he goes, uh, he first of all, he just explains it, says, why is it, uh, why is it excluded? Because of what law? The law that requires works. In other words, uh, does the law require that I, uh, it's excluded, it's excluded for me to boast because of that, and so I obey that? In other words, this is the Jewish code he's talking about here, uh, and, and he's specifically leaning into that. 
And he says, it, it, what, what perhaps some were thinking was that if I was in, if I was Jewish and I put myself under the law, then I might have something to boast about. And Paul's main point so far in the book of Romans is that no one can achieve status with God. No one can be justified, made right with God, righteousified, right? That's a word we looked at in, in previous episodes here. No one can have that. No one can have that status apart from the work of Jesus Christ, Jew or Gentile, right? So then, then he, he goes on and says, no, but because of the law that requires faith. So there's, there's, this, there's this new law, so to speak, coming. This law that says what makes you okay is faith. And in actuality, and he's going to come back to this at the end of this chapter, he says, no, because of the law that requires faith. And, and, and the reality is this is the Old Testament too. Remember we, about two weeks ago, we looked at uh, why Jesus had to be displayed publicly as a propitiation. Why, why did that have to happen? We went back to the Old Testament um, <clears throat> and we looked at uh, the, just as, excuse me, we looked in John chapter three when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he says, just as Moses lifted up the snake so that all who believe or look upon the son will also have eternal life in him. And so we look back at what that was about in the book of Numbers. And it was this whole thing about looking upon or trusting putting your, in ways you don't understand, putting your trust in God that he will do this. And now we do that through Jesus Christ. So that's, that is the way we are made okay. That is the way we are said we are, are right. And so there, there is no boasting here, right? <laughs> a, a person who got bit by a snake in those days was bitten because they were grumbling and they were guilty uh, for grumbling against God and against Moses. And they had to then go kind of groveling and look at the snake. And then you don't boast about how great you are. You say, oh my goodness, man, that was a close call. I almost died, right? Verse 28. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, by faith apart from the works of the law. So this is, it's, it's a part. It's not the, the following the rules. Now we'll get back here in just a minute. It's not this following the rules that makes us okay, right? There's a, there's, so to speak, there's a new sheriff in town. What makes us okay is Jesus Christ and the simple fact that we trust him. We have faith in him. That's what it is. Verse 29, or is God the God of Jews only? <clears throat> now, if you're a first century Jew, and you heard that sentence, you would say, yes, he is. That God is our father. God is not the father of everyone. We, because we go back through Abraham, God is our father. But, but he's not everyone's father here. What are, you, what are you talking about, Paul? And this would have been one of those points where it's like, it's shocking that the apostle Paul, who himself is a very uh, devout Jew, when he comes to faith in Jesus, for him to say that statement, is God the God of the Jews only? No, he's not. That's the answer that's supposed to be given. Is he not the God of Gentiles too? And he has to answer it just in case they get the wrong answer. Yes, of Gentiles too. And since there's only one God, verse 30, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by that same faith, He's going to do that. There is only this one God, and he's going, to, he's going to justify both those who are in Israel and those who are outside of Israel, both those who are circumcised and those who are not circumcised, both those who are observant to the Old Testament laws and to those who are not. God will look upon them the same who have faith 
in Jesus Christ. Now, it is very important you see this. This is a huge seismic shift in how to read the storyline of Scripture. Paul is laying down here something that, quite honestly, the average person in, in, in first century Judaism would not have picked up. That, that God is the God of everybody, and the purpose of Israel is not to be this lifeboat that people have to jump into. You got to join Israel in order to find the salvation of God. Nations, you are welcome, but you got to come into our nation. Actually, what the Apostle Paul is saying here, and it's a, again, as, as, as you know, 21st century readers are, uh, we're not going to pick this up as much. But what he's saying here at that time would have been earth-shaking. What he's saying is Israel is actually simply a microcosm of everybody else. That the ultimate purpose of Israel, as, as they had it as good as you can possibly have it, that the ultimate purpose of them is to say, you had it as good as you can and you still didn't make it. You were still sinners. They saw the miracles. They felt the physical salvation of God out of Egyptian slavery. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They were written by them in their times, in their context. Uh, they, they had the temple. They have the promises. They, they have all of this. And it wasn't enough. They still were turned away from God. And it just, what it meant to do was to scream to them, they need a savior. And if they need a savior, everyone needs a savior. And then we come to verse 31, which is the logical question you should ask at this point. Paul says this, do we, us Christians, do we then nullify the law by this faith? In other words, are we now saying that, you know what, don't even bother with the Old Testament. You know what, that, we, don't, we don't buy that. We don't believe that. And he says this, not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. This is, again, earth shattering. And what he's saying here is, is he's saying, listen, I want to prove something to you. I'm actually reading this story correctly. I'm not nullifying it, but if you read it wrongly, you will think I am. But if you read the story correctly, you'll see that this is the way it always was. And what he's going to do starting in next week, we'll look at this in Romans 4, he's going to go back and to see if his solution of God in Jesus Christ and in faith alone, grace alone, is what saves you, to see if that works in the Old Testament, okay? And he's going to start with Abraham, and he's going to touch on David as well. And that's where we're going to go next week. But but this week, I, I raised a question in the beginning, and I, I want to, as I've read this, and I've been a kind of a Romans freak here for a long time, as I read through Romans 1, 2, and 3, and you end 3 like this, I've always kind of looked at, at this question that here is asked in verse 27, where that is boasting? It just seems like a bizarre question. It just, it just seems like, where, where did that even come from? You, you, if you follow the first three chapters of Paul's argument, you would just go, why are you even bringing this up? Why not talk about, you know, uh, what kind of Dairy Queen Blizzard you like? Or I don't, there's a lot of things you could mention. Why bring this up. It just seems to be strange. Why would you think about boasting? And yet we do. 
you know what? If you're uh, following some of this Romans untangled stuff and you're listening to the book of Romans and it's starting to set your life free from free from religion and free from uh, a brand of understanding the Bible that would say, you know, it's all about being a good person or these kind of things, you actually might, you know how I know this because I've done it and I still do it, you might look down on others who don't see it the way you do. Well, that that's boasting. <laughs> this is something we do all the time. We, we even boast about how unpretentious we are. We call it humble brag. Or uh, we often go online when we do something that is right and we'll post it and people have now called that virtue signaling. I just want to let you know that I did the good thing and all of you out there don't do the good thing. So therefore, I am better than you. Now, why do we do that? Why do we compare ourselves constantly with others, even with something like the gospel, and say, I think I'm better than you because I understand it? (laughs) And Paul here wants to make really clear, no. And he says, he gives you the answer of why we do that. And the answer is the law. God has written this law. Now, by that word law, I mean either capital L, if you're Jewish and you are raised with the Old Testament and you followed the ways and that's what you you were supposed to follow all these things, or the little L law, which we talked about in Romans chapter one early on in the podcast. I don't remember which, it's probably like uh, episode five or six or something like that. We looked at Romans 132, where it just talks about this little L law is written in our hearts. So that we know, conscience, whatever, we know, we all know that we're being measured by a holy God by our actions and attitudes. We, we know that. And we know that we fall short. So when we feel that we fall short, we're constantly moved to, our, to want to say to ourselves, you know, I'm not so bad. Or, or, or at least I'm not as bad as the next guy. Right? I, I know I brought up in the beginning here shoveling the sidewalk. I... I, I, I like to snow blow and I like to snow blow other people's, uh, you know, in the front of my house and uh, right along my block here. And, and sometimes somebody hasn't shoveled their walk and so it's icy. And then I judge them. It's like, hey, why don't you should do that? Well, really? Really? Like their sh- snow shoveling is actually uh, a sign of their virtue or something. It's, it's ridiculous. Probably one of my oldest friends, Phil Stoike. If you're listening, Phil, it's a shout out to you. Uh, both of us are Iron Rangers up in Hibbing. Grew up together. He has now convinced me that Luke 18, 9 to 17 is the most important parable in the whole Bible. Now, if you're binge listening to the podcast, you'll remember I brought up this parable in season one, episode 10, which was the level ground before the cross, right? It was chapter two, and, um, and basically, again, you who boast because you're not like those rotten Gentiles. But this is such a huge issue with us, it bears repeating. And so I want to I wanna revisit that parable uh, for us this this uh, in this episode. And as I do that, I just, I, I, you know, this is not something you need to listen to once a year. It's something I need to listen to once a week because I have a tendency to constantly struggle with this. So let's look at this parable. Luke 18 verse 9 says this, and this is math, or excuse me, Luke writing, and he says this, to some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Well, there's no doubt What's happening here? This whole concept of look down means you 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 look with disdain or you reject them uh, or whatever. And so he says, if you're if that's you, well that that's all of us. The apostle Paul, after giving the whole gospel beautiful message, has to remind us where then is boasting? It's excluded. 
So Jesus gives this parable. And here's the parable. Two men went up to a temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. Now, this Pharisee, Pharisee is supposed to be the good guy in the story, and the tax collector is supposed to be the bad guy in the story. And in a lot of ways, as you looked at them in society, it's very, very true. That was exactly true. Pharisees were squeaky clean. Outside, they had good behavior. No drug, sex, and rock and roll for them. The tax collectors were traitors. They were Jewish citizens, or Jewish people who had betrayed Judaism by working for the Romans to over-collect taxes, and they would skim off the top, and they were, they were often lewd people. So don't, don't say the tax collector is a good guy and the Pharisee is a bad guy. No, it's, that's not reading the parable the way a, a person who heard this would have heard it. And it says that the Pharisee stands by himself and he prays. God, at first he just says, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people. He's thanking God that God has made him so that he's better than other people. And he even points at the other guy and says, I'm not like that guy over there. Uh, the Good News Translation has his prayer like this. I thank you, God, that I'm not greedy, dishonest, or an adulterer like everybody else. I thank you that I'm not like that tax collector over there. The important thing to look at here is the, the, there are five times in this prayer, it's a prayer, that the word I is used. It's all about him, what he does. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. Now, if you look at the, uh, the second person here, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance, stood at a distance, didn't assume anything about uh, who he was or what he had coming. And he wouldn't, even, he wouldn't go near the temple, but he, he wouldn't even look up to heaven. But he beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Kenneth Bailey has a, has a great observation here in his book, Poet and Peasant and Through Peasant Eyes. He says this, women customarily beat on their chests at funerals, but men do not. For men, it is a gesture of extreme sorrow and anguish, and it is almost never used. It is little wonder that in all of the biblical literature we find this particular gesture mentioned only here and at the cross of Jesus in Luke chapter 23. There we are told that all the multitude went home beating on their chests. The crowd naturally included men and women. Indeed, it takes something of the magnitude of Golgotha, the the cross, to evoke this gesture from Middle Eastern men. And in this prayer, he actually asks, God, just have mercy on me. And then Jesus gives the, the answer to this parable. That's, it's a story. These people don't exist, but it's a story. And Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, in my 57 years here on planet Earth, that is the most difficult thing to get through this brain of mine. Constant. Constant comparison. uh, Constant trying to be better. 
constantly having to be reminded of the gospel that it's level and we're all the same. That's with someone who is down on their luck, someone who has terrible mental illness, maybe someone who uh, is sick, maybe someone who has done what I would consider, what a lot of us would consider, and probably they do too, terrible immoral things that have ruined families. There, but for the grace of God, go I, is something we constantly need to remember. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. And as I started to study this more and more as a young follower of Christ, I started to realize that if you look in Scripture when God lists sins, like in the book of Proverbs, there's six things the Lord hates, seven that he detests. And the first one he says is haughty eyes. In other words, there's something about pride, there's something about boasting, there's something about seeing myself that is actually a worse sin than anything else we could put out there. And if you look back into the Garden of Eden, this is exactly what Adam and Eve did, right? The, 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 the lie they were given was, then you'll be like God and you'll be equal to God and you'll, you'll got, you, you don't have to be dependent upon God, you'll be independent of God. And ultimately what it is, is we are trying to become our own little God. So early on in my Christian experience, I used to memorize a lot of scriptures as a new believer. I put together a pack of eight verses that I call my pride pack, and I memorized these. I don't want to share them with you. I'm just in closing here. I want to share you these eight verses. I'll give you references here. You can look them up on your own. But these are just ones that I've tried to put into my heart to help fight this. Here we go. Psalm 75, 6 and 7. No one from the east or the west or from the desert can exalt a man. But it is God who judges. He brings one down. He exalts another. Proverbs 8, verse 13. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perversive speech. Proverbs thirteen ten. Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. Proverbs sixteen eighteen. Pride goes before destruction a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 26, verse 12. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Probably my very favorite is from the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 4. It's after uh, Nebuchadnezzar actually loses his mind and he goes out and he grazes with the cattle and his hair grows long and his fingernails grow long and he's losing mind. Then he comes back and he says, I lifted my eyes up to the God of heaven. I gave him praise. But because before that, he tried to praise himself. The word he says then is, he says, and those who walk in pride, he, meaning God, is able to humble. Isaiah 42, 8. I am the Lord that is my name. I will not give my glory to idols, or excuse me, I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. And then lastly, and trust me, there are a lot more in scripture, very, very good verses, but this is from John the Baptist when he sees Jesus. And at that time, John the Baptist is the rock star in the religious world in the whole air, whole region. And when and he's got these crowds coming, he, he's a mega church pastor. When he sees Jesus, he says this, he must become greater. I must become less. So where then is boasting? It is excluded. It's excluded because it's all about Jesus and it's not about us. 
May we receive this message this week. May we receive it in such a way that we once again remind ourselves that, Lord, you are what it's all about, and it's not about us. We can just be us and let him be him. Next week, we're going to look at uh, Romans chapter 4, and we're going to ask the question, let's see if this way of understanding how God relates to his people, this, this pathway of salvation through Jesus Christ, this idea of we are it's through faith and not through our works, let's see if that thing actually works. And Paul's going to rethink the whole Old Testament story in light of Jesus Christ. I hope you're safe and well, and that your love for Christ is only expanding through your increasing grasp of the book of Romans. Have a great week.